I can't believe you're going to play that fancy music before we talk about this terrible movie. Welcome, welcome, welcome to our lovely little podcast. Twice a month, your hosts watch a movie, do some homework, and create Check Your Threading podcast that serves up history, psychology, and perspective on that film. Hello, I'm Bonnie. I have a film theory background, and I especially love talking about the nuances of genre. I'm also a writer of experimental fiction, and I love cats. <laughs> and I'm Lauren. I have a background in creative writing and literature, and I like to binge research. That's right. For the month of May, we're doing sci-fi. Pew, 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 pew. Wee, wee. Oh, is that my ambulance noise from the last episode? <laughs> okay. That's what sci-fi sounds like, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. Everyone else. So, as promised, this week we have Armageddon. Oh, Lauren. Mm-mm. Lauren. Mm-mm. Armageddon. Yes. Yes, indeed. I can't believe you made us watch Armageddon. So last time we talked about Gattaca, which NASA voted the most accurate sci-fi movie of all time. And now we're going to do Armageddon, which is not that. <laughs> I know, Betty. I know. So, Armageddon. Directed by Michael Bay, written by Jonathan Hinsley and J.J. Abrams, and like seven other people, all right, uh, starring men. Uh, what kind of men? Well, I'll tell you, Lauren. We have Bruce Willis, the man's man, all right? We have Ben Affleck, the young and upcoming man. We have Steve Buscemi. His own kind of man. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Will Patton, Owen Wilson, Keith David, Michael Clark Duncan, rest in peace, and Billy Bob Thornton. We also have Lucius Malfoy, and we have Liv Tyler, of course. Boy, do we ever. So, Armageddon is an American sci-fi disaster film. Emphasis on American. It's about a ragtag group of deep-sea oil drillers who NASA sends up to space to defeat a meteor the size of Texas, which is hurling toward Earth and will pretty much wipe out life as we know it. That's cool. Came out 4th of July weekend, and in the end, it was the highest-grossing movie of 98, so, you know, it broke the box office with 50, what is it, $553.7 million. Also, fun fact, it's in the Criterion Collection. Yeah, um, why? Why is it in the Criterion Collection? We'll get to that, buddy. We'll get to that, I promise. I promise I will give you answers. You can be patient. Before we really get started, I think we need to talk about a couple of other things. So it's equally as important to discuss why we're so GD-obsessed with disaster films. Um, We have always been obsessed with disasters. Uh, One of the very first narrative films ever was Fire! Exclamation point. A (laughs) silent short film directed by James Williamson. And, you know, caveman drawings of fire and disaster. Um, Sure. Warnings. Warnings. Yes. Right. 
So there are a lot of reasons for our love. Uh, part of that is our desire to see the like easily identifiable good guy win, you know, against like immeasurable odds. Uh, some of it comprises of our desire for like simplicity, like to see a moral compass comprised of only good and evil, right? And to be able to watch the worst thing happen or like almost happen, uh, you know, to the world at large and the very best come out in human nature, right? Sure. All right. So it's 1998. Digital special effects have created a new golden era for disaster films, right? So there's Independence Day, Twister, Deep Impact, who, you know, some might say is the shy intellectual sister film to Armageddon. We have a lot of disaster cranking out of the Hollywood machine in general, okay? Sure, sure. Michael Bay is doing Armageddon and it's smashing into the box office like a meteor hurling down at however many miles a minute. Um, it's, it's a huge success, both domestically and internationally. Uh, critics hate it, but the public loves it. Roger Ebert was just so angry. Like he wasn't even trying to be like, he wasn't even trying to be objective. He was just railing off on how terrible he thinks this film is. <laughs> And Lauren read in the New York Times that Michael Bay wanted Armageddon to be a movie that would lock the attention of a 15-year-old boy. Oh, yeah. Just, I mean, he's just, like, real defensive about it. He's like, relax, geez. Yeah. So everything needs to make just enough sense that no one's completely distracted over some pseudoscience thing, right? And then the film can just keep moving without having to explain too much. <laughs> Which leads us to our next point. There's also a lot of like show and tell about how sometimes science is stupid and we need brute force to save the world. Yeah, even science man Billy Bob Thornton is exasperated with the nerds. He wants firepower. He's like, stop showing me the science and give me bombs. <laughs> what? That's exactly no. what he like. <laughs> what? Definitely, definitely. There's there's a lot of all this throughout. One thing that stood out not only to me, but to Lauren, was the weirdly out of time and place shots of like the American people. They're encapsulated in like a Midwest farm town that looks straight out of the 1950s, but everywhere else is like full on contemporary, if not like a little futuristic. So why is the US living in a time warp, Lauren? Uh, Michael Bay is definitely trying to create his own time period. Like, we see everything from boxcars that are hand-built by children and Studebaker trucks to a mural of the JFK to modern rockets, all in the same montage. So if we want to look at, like, the cultural context of Armageddon, we have to look at two things. Uh, the first is the history of space exploration. In, in the 1990s, we see a period of rebirth after the Challenger accident in the 80s. Um, so according to NASA, our space shuttle missions actually doubled in the 90s. So it was seen as this time where we've sort of gone above and beyond with space exploration, uh, not just checking the boxes to do our duty to win the space race, but actually going further and instilling a sense of wonder in the American population and maybe, dare I say it, in the world. Dare. <laughs> That's why we're able to have a movie where common man fantasy is to be an astronaut who gets to boss other astronauts around. 
the shot where Bruce Willis is like gutting NASA's best attempt at a space drill, like throwing parts on the ground is exactly what I'm talking about. Right. So, (laughs) so NASA is doing other stuff in the nineties too. So, uh, you know, we, we built the international space station and there's the Mir space station, which launched in the 1980s, but our cultural awareness of it really hit in the 90s. Yeah, so Bay actually interviewed Mir astronauts to make this movie, um, but he kept the station unnamed in Armageddon because by the late 90s, Mir was in such poor condition, they were worried that if they named it and then something bad happened to the shuttle before the movie came out, it would lead to really bad press. So the American astronauts get to feel superior about the condition of the Russian fueling station. Yeah, but to be fair, Mir was considered groundbreaking when it launched. It just had a lot of issues with trash disposal, and it was in orbit three times longer than its projected lifespan. Wow. Well, that's just like opportunity. Please don't mention opportunity if you don't want me to cry during our podcast. (laughs) But it would be a missed opportunity if I didn't. Oh, boo. Uh, Lauren has a lot of feelings about space. Yeah, I do. So that's the first thing we had to talk about for context. Can you give me some of that good backstory? Yeah, girl. All right. In the 1970s, there was a huge boom of these like catastrophe films in the U.S. There was The Towering Inferno, The Poseidon Adventure, um, Airport. Airport was huge and so on, right? So... Airport had like four sequels, I think. Um, The early 70s in particular was considered the golden age of disaster films, right? Why were they so popular at the time? Well, I'll tell you. (laughs) My first thought is that there's a certain lack of autonomy to the political and cultural climate of the 1970s. So like, you know, there's the end of the Vietnam War, uh, there's Watergate, there's Roe versus Wade trial, um, Martin Luther King died, uh, the unemployment rates are skyrocketing. Um, the world is a mess, you know? So we create the disastrous scenarios that a group of unwilling heroes defeat with their wits and the American go-getter spirit, thus squashing the danger into a million pieces and saving not only themselves, but hundreds of others. So for me, that sort of begs the question of like, what happened in the early 90s that caused disaster films to come bursting back onto the scene, like an asteroid hurtling at however many miles a minute towards Earth? (laughs) Uh, All right, so it's not quite the same, though there are similarities. Okay. The world has become like increasingly isolated in the 90s, and that isolation gives people a desire for community. So you have all these people coming together to save the planet for the greater good and creating a community to survive. I was also thinking that Armageddon is made for people who are looking for faith in the government at this point. Like, it makes us feel good to see NASA making strong choices. It's a global crisis, but it's the U.S. government that saves the day. Uh, Fun fact about that, it was funded in part by the military. So the military will give you monies if you make them look good in your films. I think that was also one of the common threads between uh, the 70s and the 90s disaster film. Okay, okay. As well as films in general, honestly. Um, Sure. Also, we're not even 10 years out of the Cold War, 
you know, we have the end of the century barreling toward us. And with the end of the century comes, you know, the, like the superstitions of the end of the world, the Mayan calendar and all that. No, wait, the Mayan calendar was 2012, whatever. (laughs) Don't worry, they made a movie about that too. (laughs) (laughs) So the clock turns back to zero and everything blows up, right? That's, that's the end of the world. That's that's what happens at the end of the millennia. Um, Outside of that, there's also a more simple answer, which is disaster movies make money. Commercialism. (laughs) Commercialism is rampant in these high-octane action flicks. Well, in the 90s, disaster flicks are all very man versus nature. Like, I'm not sure what you'd classify Independence Day as. There's so much emphasis on human extinction that it still feels like nature to me. So we have aliens, we have tornadoes, we have two volcano movies and two meteor movies or asteroid movies, I'm not sure. And then we have the cult classic Mars attacks. And then there's like a million little ones that came out between 96 and 98 that we're not even mentioning. So I definitely see what you're saying. What I think is that the towering inferno was no longer going to sate an audience in the 90s, the way it did in the 70s. Like burning buildings just aren't enough anymore these disasters like have to match the collective's expectations. So like, you know, harder, better, faster, stronger, uh, bigger, totally. Totally. more. So, okay. So what is this movie really about? Uh, it's about making a Scrooge McDuck bank vault full of money <laughs> and stuffing your face with popcorn. As Eddie Izzard style? Yeah, considering Dress to Kill came out in 99, I think Eddie Izzard's popcorn-eating face is literally about Armageddon. <laughs> um, um, um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is this movie about for me? Uh, I guess mine is that the military wants you to think they're cool, so they tell the movies to tell you that. They sure do. Yes, they do. All right, Queen. Question time! Question time. Question, Question time. time. Question time is when we ask each other questions that the other person has not been prepared for in any way. Mm -hmm. Um, So my first question is, why is this in the Criterion Collection, you monster? You didn't answer it. Promises were broken. They were. (laughs) Entire minutes ago. (laughs) Promises were broken, my friend. I'm sorry. It's fine. (laughs) Okay, so the best I could come up with is that... uh, It's in the Criterion Collection because of its digital effects. They are pretty incredible for the time. Um, And it still holds up now. I mean, the digital effects are really amazing. And because it's like a pure action film, like Michael Bay is really good at making action films, you know? And I think that that's what it is more than anything. I think that it's just a, a really good show and tell of what it's supposed to be, which is action. Okay. Okay. Gross. (laughs) Lauren has feelings about action films. No, I have feelings about Armageddon. I like action films. All right. Okay. So if you were to direct a film or write a book or story or what have you about, you know, in the doomsday catastrophe category, what would be your doomsday device? Oh boy. Um, I I mean, if we're going to stick to the theme of, like, natural disaster... Not necessarily, but go ahead. Okay. 
Well, I, I think that despite the existence of the day after tomorrow, not enough has been done with freezing the planet. I really want to see a frozen Earth apocalyptic scenario, especially because it really negates so many of the basic things like food and plant life and water. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My second question for you is, of the secondary characters in Armageddon, only, only the second tier sidekicks, uh, who would you rather have make you a homemade pizza and why? Jesus Christ. Um, he was not in Armageddon. It's a very big cast. I think I would want Will Patton to give or to make me a pizza because okay. he seems like the kind of guy who pays attention to your needs. Okay. Right. All right. And he wants to impress. Right. But in, in a very genuine way. Okay. Okay. So cool. yeah, it'd be a good, good pizza. Okay. I think. Um, okay. This is kind of a question, mm-hmm. but it's, more of a tell me your thoughts type. Okay. Thing. Okay. So I want to hear more because we didn't get to discuss it in the original lecture part of this. Uh, tell me about Liv Tyler. Tell me how you feel about Gracie. Liv Tyler is frustrating for me because she's the only, Gracie is the only female character in this movie with a significant amount of lines. There's another uh, female astronaut who, you know, arguably does some important stuff, you know, sort of off camera while they're trying to escape the the meteor. But Liv Tyler starts the movie full of articulate rage at her father's ridiculous patriarchal notions that he can literally put live ammunition into her boyfriend. Like, yeah, Bruce Willis wants to murder Ben Affleck at the beginning of this movie because he had sex with Liv Tyler. And by halfway through the movie, she's reduced to like a weeping pile of mucus who spends the the last half of the movie like crying in a NASA break room, which sucks. I, I feel like she should have more to do and more to say, especially since she's apparently like the business liaison to the international market for her father's business. Which yeah. is like a multi-million dollar oil rig. So right. come on, like what, what happens to Gracie? Totally. I don't believe that her life ends at getting married and having babies with AJ. Yeah, me neither. So closing remarks, closing thoughts about Armageddon. Uh, This movie tried to warn me about J.J. Abrams and I didn't listen. Mm -hmm. Also, I feel like everybody needs to know that Bonnie put the wrong stuff at the top of our (laughs) research document and that should have been the entire podcast. Just that at the end. (laughs) the wrong stuff it's what one of the astronauts says in the movie actually and i was like lol yep that's kind of true <laughs> yeah maybe pretty much exactly so i guess my closing remarks are like hooray we saved the world sort of you know outside of like shanghai and paris but whatever um yeah that's a sacrifice the united states is willing to make <laughs> <laughs> So before we reluctantly leave you all for another two weeks, Mm -hmm. I'd like to give y'all a new podcast recommendation. So a few friends of ours and colleagues have created a great show. It's pretty, pretty GD hilarious and they haven't named it yet, but 
I don't think they're ever going to. So it's called Name Pending Podcast, parentheses, Name Pending. Oh my God. And it's just a delight. It's a real delight. They describe it as a train wreck discussion about movies and other useless trash. So please subscribe on YouTube at Over the Top Media and follow their Instagram, Twitter, and Reddit channels at Alien Art School. Right on. And if you want to follow us, uh, you can find all of our newest episodes at checkyourthreading.com. We are also now updating in real time at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at checkthreading and on Instagram at checkyourthreading. You can send any emails to checkyourthreadingpod at gmail.com. We love comments and popcorn. That's right. We haven't received any popcorn yet. I, I I have heard that it's hard to send through email, but I'm determined that someone will figure out a way. Yeah, I think they will. I think yeah. they will. So uh, what are we watching next time? Uh, next episode, surprise, we're watching One Last Sci-Fi for Sci-Fi Month. We're going to watch Attack the Block. Oh my gosh, an amazing film. Allow it. <laughs>